right? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a thank you goodbye. All right, Jesus, we just thank you for this time we have together to be inspired by your story through Scripture. Um, we just ask that uh, foundations of just your assurances of your love would just be formed as we meet together, that we would find inspiration from watching each other, from living this out together, from reading and being inspired by your life and your amazing love. We just ask that through discussion today and through our teaching and our time together that each of us just senses that overwhelming flood of your love, of your grace, of your acceptance. That we feel closer to one another and closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Do you ever... um, whether it's your parents or uncle or aunt or parents' friends, you ever see that couple who uh, is still living out some fight or mistake that they made either two weeks ago or years ago? Uh, And it can be as extreme as I remember one couple that was in our life, an older couple, and uh, I guess when they were young and newly married, uh, he cheated on her one time, and but I knew them in their late 50s, early 60s, and this mistake is still palpable in their marriage. Like you can, you can walk in the room and not even really know what's going on, and realize like something is up between these two, and it's still the same thing. And you, you, it, it comes out in the randomest conversation. Well, so-and-so is a cheater, so we can't, you know, you're playing a game and it comes out he's a cheater, and you're just like, oh, crap, this is, all right, this is still here, this is still lingering, and this is, this is a big mistake, so yeah, it's, it's going to have a lot more pain, but I see it with little ones, too, like, well, he said he was going to pick up the milk, and he didn't, so he's forgetful, and so you just see these, uh, these little things that linger, I see it with roommates, even, of people I work with, and... Um, Someone had a party and didn't ask the other person about it. And yes, there's supposedly forgiveness, but there's this lingering condemnation that seems to uh, define this relationship no matter what's going on. Uh, and I, there's so much of this with God, this lingering condemnation that people will speak about. Uh, I've heard way too many news interviews with this, uh, well, God's punishing us for mistakes that we're making as a nation or whatnot, and it just seems so over the top and ridiculous from what we've been reading about and and talking about and seeing this foundation of God and this foundation of forgiveness. Uh, And so I don't know about you, but I think of my own life and like there's mistakes I make and I can let it, let some kind of condemnation from that be palpable between my spiritual life or we can move on from that. There needs to be an understanding of how big God's forgiveness is for us to be able to be followers of Jesus and walk this out, uh, or we're just missing something. And we've really been going through a lot of basics uh, the last two months, whether it was this looking at how Jesus taught us about God and what he said and what that revealed. And we took three or four weeks looking at just how big this love of God is and this reframing and this re-picturing God through the lens of Jesus, and then we looked at grace two weeks ago when I was here, and it almost like builds on that foundation of Jesus, and this free grace, this gift, this, there's nothing we can do to earn it, 
So why run around trying to boast, as the scriptures say? And now forgiveness is like that next step if we don't understand how big and how amazing this forgiveness is. We've just missed the point of following Jesus and what this is all about. He restructures so much stuff. And so we're going to go into forgiveness a little bit today because it's such a... um, uh, I don't even know if we can enter into Thanksgiving with like truly being looking at our lives and being thankful without realizing this aspect of God and this merit of the message of Jesus that he brings us. Um, because it's either God is loving and God is forgiving or God is this horrible relationship where one mistake just has a flavor and an essence that carries on no matter how many years go on. But it can't be, it can't be a mixture of the two. It's, it's one or the other. Do we trust that he's, that he's bigger than that? Or are we putting him just in our shoes and he's just this angry husband or housewife that just can't get over the mistakes we're making and it's, we're, we're just going to suffer for it for all time, no matter what conversation and, and what's going on with that. And I wonder, what does that look like to people who are watching us? Is that something they want to get in on? Like, show me more of that. Like, introduce me to this Jesus you're telling me about. He seems like a swell guy, this schizophrenic lover who's mad and uh, it just holds things over us. Or does, the, or does the scriptures and the message of Jesus paint something so radically different that we need to make sure that this is how we talk, how we live, how we go about these things? Wow, that, I don't know what happened there. Hold on one second. Keynote just went away. But I'll read anyway as this is coming up. Romans 4, 6 through 8. I'm going to read a little bit from Romans and then quite a bit from Hebrews this morning to illustrate um, what I'm talking about. Romans 4, 6 through 8 says, Remember the psalm where David speaks about the benefits that come to the person whom God credits with righteousness apart from works. Sorry. There we go. Remember the psalm where David speaks about the benefits that come from the person who God credits with righteousness apart from their works. He said, and so this is a direct quote from the psalms, Blessed are those whose wrongs have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the person whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And so Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he's reminding them of this this psalm where David is looking forward to the future and understanding what's to come. And he's like, man, what what is it going to be like? I would love to be that dude who lives in an atmosphere with God, whose sins have been covered, um, whose sins the Lord doesn't even take into account. He's like, man, I want to be in that era, in that time frame, in that zone. So many people have like their favorite decade. Like, oh, I, I like the 20s and how they dressed or the 70s and those flared bell-bottoms or whatever was going on. And, and it's not just the clothing, it's almost like the simplicity of life. And then we see D- David looking forward, being like, man, what is it going to be like when religion and this relationship with God is not based on rights and wrongs and what we're doing, but it's, it's something more than that. Jesus says on the cross right before he takes his last breath that it is finished, that there was some kind of finality, some kind of completion 
to what he was doing? And is there something in this, this finished that he's talking about here, or is it just like a stepping stone? Like it's just started. Good luck from here. Here we go. Do we, do we believe that we're in this era that David talked about where sins are not counted against him? Um, there's another verse in Romans I wanted to read. I must have forgot to put the slide. In Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for people who are in this. We talked and we opened about these stories of married couples or relationships we know where if someone makes a mistake, you can just, you can taste the condemnation. Like it's, it fills the air. It's something that's thick. And so many times when people have, when they talk about God to me, when they talk about Christianity especially, it, it seems to have this flavor and this air of, this weight of condemnation that comes with it. Yet we have this verse of Paul, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. You'll see in some Bible translations, there'll be a parenthesis after this with like a little star. And if you look at the star, it says, well, added so you understood what the author was talking about. And then it'll go on to say, who walk not after the flesh, flesh but follow after the spirit. They have this, this added, well, Jesus isn't enough, so it's, it's how you live your life, actually. Not who those who are in Jesus, but if you don't make a mistake ever, you can be in no condemnation. But of course, it's in brackets and there's a star saying, theologians added this because they thought you needed to hear this. This sentence didn't have enough power on its own, this no condemnation. And I wonder if, we, if, if that's how we're living still, if we're missing something by, by adding the caveat. It's Jesus plus, as long as I'm living right, then I don't have to worry about things. It's Jesus plus, if I'm a good person, then things will be great. When we've been looking at this message of grace being free, not based on our merit or our things, this is the goodness of God. This is the thing that inspires us to live differently. If we understand it, if it is the foundation, and the foundation isn't you and your performance and your works and you trying to live right, because that can get heavy. One of my favorite verses in scriptures where Jesus says, come to me, all you are heavy and laden, and some translations say overburdened with religious things like come to me and I will give you rest for my yoke is light and easy like there's something about this following Jesus that's that's easy and he says come to me you who are overburdened by trying to do it all on your own and I will give you rest I will give you something light and something beautiful Hebrews is such an amazing um, book of the Bible there is so much packed into this little book it starts out at the very beginning It says, long ago at different times and in various ways, God's voice came to our ancestors through the Hebrew prophets. But, but in these days, in these last days, it's now come to us through the Son, the one who has been given dominion over all things and through whom all worlds were made. This is the one who imprinted with God's image, who's shimmering with his glory, sustains all that exists through the power of his word. Not sustains just some, not sustains just a little bit, not sustains if you're acting right. He sustains all. And it says, he was seated at the right hand of God once he himself had made the offering that purified us from all of our sins. And as we keep reading in Hebrews, this all, this one sacrifice, this finished work that allowed Jesus to sit down 
And in the scriptures, if someone's seated, it really, it's like throwing 15 exclamation points on something. It's like the drop the mic. It's like, I'm, I'm not even standing anymore. I want to show you that this is done. There's no standing required anymore. I'm sitting down. I'm putting my feet up. Jesus has got that lazy boy, and he's like, all right, do you trust me? Can you live from this place of understanding that it's finished, that I've done something that changes everything? I want to jump for a second to Hebrews 10, because this one, and we're going to read through most of Hebrews 10, although I'm going to jump around and paraphrase a little bit, because Hebrews 10 is a pretty long chapter. And so I'm pulling out the best stuff. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Hebrews 10 and collect all the good stuff in the middle. There's two at the back if you're really feeling left out and you want to just grab one and go for it. Um, Otherwise, some of you can check the tweetable form that's coming up right now. Uh, Hebrews 10.1 starts off saying, The sacrifices of the law could never bring perfection to those who came forward to worship. No matter how perfect you lived your life, no matter what you did, this way of finding justification could never bring perfection, could never complete. Verse 2, it says, Those sacrifices could not completely cleanse the worshipers and take away their consciousness of sin. We're getting back to this Romans 8, no condemnation. It said some list of demands, and even a good list of demands, a a, a holy way to live our life that's great. If you're trying to be holy by living up to these, it can never take away this consciousness of sin or wrongdoing or mistakes or falling short. That consciousness, that that air, that that apparent mindfulness of all your mess-ups are always going to be around. Verse 3, it says, those sacrifices provided a yearly reminder of sins. And if you go through Hebrews, this will come up over and over and over again. God wasn't pleased with this system because all it did was yearly remind everybody of their mistakes. And so we see this system that once a year you'd come, you'd confess everything you did wrong, they'd kill some animal, and you were covered and cleansed for a year. And you just got to be like, okay, day one of the year you feel pretty great, Day 300, you're like, shoot, my grievances are stacking up against me. I'm starting to feel the weight of this until some animal is killed again. And then supposedly you feel somewhat clean again until the next year. But it says he didn't like this system of reminding us every year. And then you go into childhood and you're taught this prayer before you go to bed at nighttime that make sure you list everything you did and ask for forgiveness because you don't want to miss anything. I have friends that'll, that, uh, that, uh, were, that are ministers that if they cuss sometime, they'll have to say a little prayer because they don't want to they don't miss that one and have something happen, that there was some unrepented prayer. Or they'll even pray for the sin of omission, the sin that they didn't even realize they committed. Please forgive me for all the sins that I screwed up that I didn't even know were there. And it's not really done most of the time out of a heart that is like, man, I screwed up. God, how do we do better? It's a, I just want to make sure that I'm covered in case something happens. Someone was telling me the other day that they were driving in the snow and in the car. Uh, the car starts swerving and they almost hit like three or four people. And in their head, they're listing their mistakes and asking for forgiveness. And I'm like, that, that's what you're spending your last moments, trying to clear your conscience and be like, okay, God, if I get there, I'm going to try to riddle off and list off everything that I've made a mistake on so that when everything's done, I can get there and be like, I got them all. If there was one missing, it hopefully was a little one, and there'll be like a little bit of grace. 
And so we've turned a yearly reminder of sins into an every day or an every moment or an every hour. Like all of a sudden now all we're doing is being reminded that you're making mistakes. This seems like we've taken the message that Jesus is hoping for and we've made it worse. Verse 10 says, by God's will through the cross, we have been made holy once for all time. Maybe Hebrews author doesn't understand this. Maybe the other authors of the New Testament that talk about this one sacrifice that cleanses us for all time. Maybe they don't understand vernacular. Maybe it's lost in translation the 10, 20, 30 times that it's used with the finality of all time perfected. Or maybe there's something here. Maybe this message, maybe that's why it's called good news, is that there is something finished about this. There is some finality. There is an all time that represents God's love and his forgiveness and his grace. If we go on verse 12, it says, Christ offered one sacrifice for sins for all time and then sat down. Again, it's using this reference, hey, I've cleansed everything for all time. Now, I don't know about you, but I was not born 2,000 years ago when Jesus did this. And I've heard messages, well, that covered all the sins up to Jesus. But after Jesus, sins still needed to get covered. And you're like, so I'm just, 2,000 years later, my whole life is not covered by Jesus because I'm, and so now what? Now what do I have to do to, how do we really get covered? And you're taught a, a prayer of forgiveness. You can say a prayer and he'll be just and he'll forgive you and it's covered. Except as we go on, we'll see a prayer isn't enough to forgive. Most of the Hebrew texts say that forgiveness can only come through the bloodshed of something, and so whose blood covered your sin if it wasn't Jesus then? What are we going to? I have some Jewish friends that are actually hoping to bring back the temple to rebuild it so that they can start animal sacrifice again because they said that being cleansed by the rabbi isn't enough. They need this blood sacrifice to feel like there's a covering over what's going on in their life. Verse 14 says, With one perfect offering he has perfected forever those who are being made holy. I'm trying to put emphasis on all these forevers and all these perfected and all these holy references that just keep getting shot at us over and over and over again. Verse 17, I will erase their sins and wicked acts out of my memory as though they had never existed. Now this sounds like the complete opposite of this marriage relationship we talked about at the beginning where whatever you screwed up with seems to be haunting you and going forward. I'm reminded of the story of the breakup with Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn, the most amazing scene in movie history when it comes to relationships. She wants him to do the dishes. He doesn't want to do the dishes, but then finally he's like, fine, I'll do the dishes. And she's like, no, I don't want you just to do them. I want you to want doing the dishes. And Vince Vaughn's like, who wants to do the dishes? Nobody wants to do dishes. And so we have this Huge chasm that seems to follow them forward. There's no coming back from this grievance, and it just derails what seemed like an amazing relationship at the beginning of the film. To the end of it, you're like really depressed watching this. You're like, I was really hoping they'd get back together. They had something really special. But the dishes and a bag of lime or lemons, just we couldn't go farther from there. I know people who used to be a part of the church where someone told them that they did something wrong. A lot of times it's they got a divorce, marriage was rough, they had to get a divorce, and they were kicked out, you can't be here anymore, that's just, that's just too much, we can't have you around. Or a teenager got pregnant, and instead of surrounding 
this little girl with love and helping raise it, we say, oh, we can't have your kind around here. And they see the back of a boot and the door being shut in their face. And there's this lingering reminder of, I'm not good enough to go there. I have something that keeps me out of the doors there. This is not the kind of forgiveness that these scriptures are trying to go over and over and over again. It, I mean, seriously, I had so many verses you try to pare this down to, you're like, it almost gets annoying how many times they say it forever or always or all. This purification, they really want us to understand this. So 17 again, he says, I will erase the wicked acts out of my memory as they've never existed. So it's not even just a forgiveness. He's like, I've wiped it away. Psalm says, as far as the east is from the west, your transgressions are no longer with me. He has no idea of the flaws even. He's removed them and erased them that far. And then in verse 18, he says, when there's forgiveness such as this, there is no longer any need to make any kind of offering for sin. No wonder he sits down. No wonder... He says, nothing can top this. This is perfect forgiveness. And so I wonder in our own lives, we can't just look at religion as a whole, but in our own lives, where are you reminding yourself of that? I'm not saying don't be remorseful. If I, in a motion of I'm tired, I've worked too much, I'm kind of cranky, I haven't had enough food, my sugar is imbalanced, and... I get annoyed and say something stupid that hurts Liz's feelings. Like, I should feel bad. Liz is my friend. I should feel remorse. And Jesus' forgiveness did not cover me and Liz. I've got to say something to her and, and make justification there. But I can still even go to God and be like, man, I'm disappointed. I mourn this mistake I made, this ability to love my friend, and I messed it up here. But I can also thank him in the same moment. Thank you that I'm already cleansed, that I'm already forgiven, that this is already covered by you because it reminds me again of the amazingness of God, his unfollowing love, and it puts that light back on the situation that this isn't what defines me. This isn't who I am. I'm something bigger than this now. Forgiven past, present, future, it's all covered in those alls and those finales. It's not just covered until you, you started following Jesus, and then after that, it's all you. It's not Jesus plus. He's not just covering until you found him, and then from then on, now it's up to you, because this is what's taught a lot of times, is now it's up to you. You've got to live right. You've got to ask for forgiveness. Otherwise, if something happens, you would not want to be, you would not want to be in hell. That would be horrible. And whatever hell looks like for you, when I was a kid, it looked like the, the God who would throw me in a, a lake of fire that I would burn and scream forever for making a mistake. Uh... But for you, is it past, present, and future? Or is it forgiven until you ask for forgiveness? And then that, that question, that, that throwing it out there, that's what's got you forgiven eternally. Or is there something more for that? Hebrews 9 tells us under the law, it's almost the case that everything is purified in connection with blood. Without the shedding of blood, sin cannot be forgiven. So these people that say, well, you're, you're forgiven until you accept Jesus, and then you move on, and there's not. Well, what? Does Jesus come back and die again for that person? Does he shed a little blood somewhere so that there can be this ongoing? Are we just kind of whipping him perpetually throughout time so that there can be bloodshed again to forgive someone? Or is it finished, like he said? Was it done once for all time? Can we get our mind wrapped around the finality, the totality, the amazingness of this gift? Let's see where I'm at here. 
In 1 John 2, 2, he starts to take it even farther. And he says, it was through his sacrificial death that our sins were atoned for. But he did not stop there. He died for the sins of the whole world. And if you really even get into the etymology of where we're translating this word, whole world, there is such a largeness and a vastness and a completeness to this sentence. He he atoned for every single person being. Another uh, verse, if we look at uh, going forward, it even talks about everything in heaven, everything on earth, everything is atoned for and covered through this one sacrifice. If we go to Colossians 1, 19 through 22, it says, God was pleased that in all his fullness should forever dwell in the Son, who as predetermined by God bled peace into the world by his death on the cross and as God's means of reconciling himself to the whole creation by his means of reconciling the whole world to himself. All things in heaven and all things on earth, he is the one who's reconciling. There's so much this picture that you run back to God and he'll be there for you, but the, the, the case is that he's running towards you. He's chasing. He's right there. He is the one who's putting all this in motion. He's the one who loved first. It's not, if you love me, then I'll love you back. It's like, I'm going to pour so much love into you that you can't help but overflowing and being loved for others and living a life of love and finding out about this. There's a part where Jesus is talking to the disciples and they, uh, he says, I'm not going to be coming back to judge the world. I'm here to save the world and redeem it. It's not this judgment. It's not this, he's already corrected the wrongs. He's here to invite others into this saving grace that now restores their relationship with God and restores the relationship with each other that brings about a peace that the world has never seen, that that fixes a brokenness that has fractured us for so long. And I don't know about you, but in a time and a place that we live in now, there is brokenness and a fracture that is, that is felt in so many places, especially if you turn on the news or look in the newspaper. We can feel the divide that's among us right now. There's a part in Matthew 6 where people usually object and they're like, well, what about the Lord's Prayer? Well, Jesus says that... If you forgive others, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you look at who Jesus is talking to and what he's under, this is pre-cross. And this is also a moment when he's showing people how to live on their own with this before it's the accepting God. If we look from here on out, any time that this is talked about after Jesus is on the cross, it's always be kind and compassionate for one another. Forgive each other just as Christ already forgave you, as Ephesians. Or Colossians says, forgive as the Lord has already forgiven you. There's this already forgiven, and we're supposed to spill out from that. It seems like the message that has gone forward has switched because of something Jesus did. I wonder what that is. Is it this blood that's shed? Is it this message that's changed? Is it the finality of this sacrifice that came? Oh yeah, there's a second part. Colossians, and then verse 21, he says, You were once at odds with God, wicked in your ways, but now he has reconciled you in his body and in his flesh through his death so that he can present you to God, holy, blameless, and totally free of imperfection. 
so that he can present you to God. Not, you better get yourself polished up so when you show up someday, you'll be like, here's what I did. I was in a conversation with some people the other day, and again, it came up, the projector in the sky, the afterlife that will show your whole life, and will you be happy with what it shows? And I'm like, really? where did we get this analogy that we're going to get to heaven, and there will be a projector that will show, and it doesn't show the good, it only shows your mistakes. If you did good stuff, then you just don't get a projector image, but we get this, it's going to show your whole life, and what are you going to say at that point? I'm going to say, thank God that Jesus covered all this, and thank God there's no flipping projector in the sky, and whatever you're envisioning is just BS because he's not trying to remind us of our mistakes. He's trying to remind us of what he did to make us holy, blameless, totally free of imperfection. This is what he keeps reminding us of. This is what he's trying to put our eyes on. This is what he keeps bringing us back to. This is why we meet to remind each other because life is hard and we see our mistakes and we feel the effect of those and we can even begin to feel the ramblings of condemnation until we're reminded that it's not coming from God, it's coming from you or that little voice in your head that says you're not good enough and we need that reminder from him that says I am making you holy and blameless and totally free of imperfection. Not you. Because on your best day, you can't come close to what I can do. So why not trust that he's doing something on the inside of us? No condemnation brings us close to God. It, it, it draws us in. It's that like there's, there's nothing he's holding against me. There's nothing except that love and that, that, that he sees me as his kid, as something he loves and adores. He sees me as treasure, as Scripture says. And it draws us in instead of being like, well, cleanse yourself and then come. Make sure you say you're sorry. Make sure you take a shower because you're dirty and you don't look quite right. And then you can come to God. One is drawing us away and keeps us forever gone. And the other says, come freely before the throne of grace. Run to it and find mercy and that reminder of your forgiveness. We need to remind each other. This isn't just something we keep in our head. This is something we remind each other. Even James, when he says, he doesn't say confess to God. He says to confess to one another because to one another we can be the hands and feet of Jesus and be like, thank God that's forgiven because, yeah, you did screw up. Ouch, that sounds painful. That sounds rough. That sounds like I wish I didn't do that. Uh, Mia, last night, there was an amazing, we're sitting on the couch watching a movie together, and uh, she shows me a text thread with all the managers at work. She's one of the managers. She gets the text thread. Someone's sick. I need someone to cover for them today. And the, the main boss comes out and he's like, and don't be a bunch of jerks and pretend like you didn't see this. Like, you better respond and someone better help. Like, just instantly after her text. is like this, like, condemning. I'm already anticipating that you're all just a bunch of worms that no one's going to want to help. So don't do that. And you're just like, wow, that sucked. Like, whoops. And... Mia means to text someone else being like, wow, what the heck is with this in stronger verbiage than that and accidentally sends it on the, the group thread to everything. And she's like almost crying, like, oh my God, what did I do? How do I do this? <laughs> We're going to mess up. We're going to say something ridiculously stupid in front of everyone else. And is there a way out? Is there that reminder like, hey, it's, this is going to turn out God is on our side, not he's turned his back on you because you screwed up now and you're going to just waddle in your misery until you can pull yourself out and then he'll be there again. No, he's right there helping, bringing grace. Other coworkers were so great how they came in and just were like, oh, Mia must have been on some powerful pain meds from her tooth getting pulled. Like, 
she must be tired. Like there was people helping to remind that this is okay when you make mistakes. Like we're human. It was a beautiful moment. And the phone calls and the like, it was, it turned out being something really cool and not something ugly. And so I'm like, man, I got to use that as an example. Can you? And she's like, I don't care. That's fine. Because it's in our humility of showing when we make stupid mistakes that there is grace, that there is something, there's a togetherness that we find ourselves pulling out of that. His forgiveness inspires us to forgive others when we realize how much we've been forgiven of and that this is, it's everything. It's not just some days. It just makes us want to act and live and be that way. When I officiate weddings, I throw in a little part about Jesus being grace, love, and forgiveness and being an example for how we should live our lives to not count wrongs, to not give our love only with these if, ands, and buts because that's not how God does it. It's not if you love me or if you keep your clothes off the floor or if you don't ever make a mistake or if you're never tired and get cranky or if you're never, then I'll love you. But if you do that, then like, well, you were a jerk today, so I'm going to be a jerk for three days to get you back at that. Uh, It's not like that. It's a love that says, I've forgiven you already because I know you're going to screw up. I know you're going to be tired someday and say something ridiculously stupid or upset or hurt and you're going to say something that really hurts me, but I'm already ready to forgive that. It's already happened. I'm in this for the long run because that's the example he gives us. I don't care how bad you screw up. And people will be like, well, what about, what about murder? What about the pedophiles? What about the, list whatever. It's that big. His love is that big. Well, what's the one thing? There's got to be one thing. Maybe it's homosexuality. That's the one. So it's Jesus and then Loving someone of the same gender, that's where he draws the line. Like, I can forgive everything, but that one, ooh, yeah. Or, like, really? God is limited by some, some thought of man? Like, that's the one limiting factor that all this power and all this love and all this, commun- this, this finality he's talking about, except for that. Like, I can handle the sins of the entire world except for this one thing. That kind of just, the whole thing crumbles at that moment, like... Because is that really a God you want to follow, that you want to be inspired by, that he's great as long as the road is clean, but once there's a, a crack in it, he's just going to trip on it and fall on his face and be like, whoops, I guess I forgot about that one. I guess that one was too big to cover. No, infinite in his goodness, infinite in his love, infinite in this forgiveness that we're talking about. It's Jesus plus nothing, not Jesus plus your effort or trying to live perfect or living a certain way. It's Jesus plus Nothing that does this. And so the takeaway today is, are we walking around with a consciousness of our sin? Because that's what he's trying to get us away from, is that you're this groveling worm who's a sinner. It's this righteousness, this consciousness that he sees you as his son, his daughter. He sees you as perfect. He sees you as this immense opportunity to be his hands and feet and to extend love to the world. Can we see ourselves that way? Can we remind each other of that? Can we take communion every Sunday and bring us back to that focal point that it's Jesus and not us again? Like, oh man, I got caught up in me trying to perform this week and now I get to celebrate and lay down all my effort and say, thank God it's not me and thank goodness it's Jesus. As a community, if we live this out, it's, it's, it's in how we accept, it's in how we love, it's how we talk. It's even modeling out this kind of forgiveness when someone screws up or does something. I'm definitely going to say something ridiculous that's going to offend you at some point. 
but did I intend to? Did I mean to? Do I want to make up for it? Can we be there for one another to be like, okay, even Luke is just as human as the rest of us and needs grace and love and forgiveness as we go forward. Even my partner of X amount of years, whoever you're with, they are going to continue to screw up. And can we let this forgiveness be bigger than what we've got? Can we let it extend to the whole world, to all of creation, just like God is talking about? Or is there that one person that, well, except for them, because I don't like them. Well, they're rude, or they're a bigot, or they're a this, and so I just can't, I can't handle being around that. Are we really demonstrating God's love or are we holding ourselves back from something? And how does that spill over into our own life and how we think about God then? Let's pray and then we'll go to discussion and see where we take this. Jesus, I just thank you that your love is so big. Your forgiveness is so immense and so powerful. It really is hard sometimes to get our mind around it. We need these reminders. And so together we come every Sunday and we remind each other that it's not us, it's you. And your great love and your perfection that is changing us, that is drawing us together, that is inspiring us to love differently, to get our eyes off ourselves, and not just be worried about our little kingdom or our little picket fence area and what we're accumulating, but we're looking across that fence at your children, at brothers and sisters, at people that you love, and seeing them through your eyes and seeing how we can love differently, how we can forgive differently, how we can accept people with this perfect acceptance that you have. We just thank you that you inspire us through discussion today, that we can be honest and open in our struggles in this and what's working and where, where we need help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.